Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Naughty by Nurture. Um, I'm George, and with me is Andrew. That's me. I'm Andrew. And Megan. That's me. I'm Megan. (laughs) And we spend too much time on the internet. (laughs) Debatable. Maybe it's not enough. No, I think it's I think it's uh, objectively true. This is an objective truth. <laughs> so not just relative to other people who occasionally go online. You mean in real, demonstrable terms, we are too online. According to science. Yeah. 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 Like if you know, you see it at CERN. You know, they're just colliding particles together, and eventually they start subtweeting each other. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think there are probably a few different reasons for that. Uh, I think we all have online jobs to some degree. Like there, we're all all of our work is online, but I think uh, more importantly, we are all just straight up addicted to the internet. <laughs> like a big, I'd say that. Uh, most of my social support is online. Uh, most of my friends, because they're all nerds. Oh, for sure. Huge nerds. And so, that's where I get to talk to my friends, is online. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it sounds a little bit like you're almost trying to absolve some, you know, the the trying to create a <laughs> causal relationship, maybe, saying that, oh, our, our jobs are sort of online, so we sort of, you know, we have to be super online. It's yeah, just, yeah, that was rationalization. <laughs> but okay. Really, maybe we just seek out jobs that allow us to spend a lot of time online. Yeah. It would be really nice to, to live in a world where we could imagine ourselves seeking jobs. Rather than just sort of stumbling into those like half exploded landmines. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think you know, I think the internet just sort of you know, it's like movement in both directions, where it's sort of expanding into more and more areas of, you know, human socialization. And also we sort of you know, we use the things that the internet enables more and more and so we sort of accept its integration into our lives. Uh, to a point where it's easy to lose perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there are times, you know, like, I'm online a lot, and I don't mind it, really, mostly. I don't have a lot of the problems that seem to come up from spending too much time online. But, you know, there are definitely moments where I realize that this is, you know, taking a step back, a disproportionate uh, amount of my human contact. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, I mean I think it's something that culturally, societally is being encouraged. I mean I feel like at least anecdotally I encounter stories more frequently from friends or think pieces or whatever online that are articulating increasing alienation, and I think that I mean more and more of our lives are spent online. You know, consumer devices. The Internet of Things, right? I mean, <laughs> capitalism is trying to put the Internet in everything, like literally inside of all of the things that surround you in your home. It's becoming increasingly difficult to not be online. Are you subtweeting Alexa right now? Is that yes. what's happening? <laughs> uh, or your refrigerator, or your thermostat, or <laughs> your light bulbs, or Ooh. whatever. 
And, you know, it's it's important to draw a distinction between, like, the infrastructural sort of Internet of Things way that we're to online, where we become sort of increasingly physically dependent on the Internet, and the, the sort of, you know, the social and economic ramifications of the Internet that make us sort of increasingly psychologically dependent right. on the Internet, both in terms of, like, you know, there's a lot of ways that, there's a lot of less, like, advantages that the Internet has over socialization totally face-to-face that, you know, encouraged it. Like, it's just much easier to find uh, people you're comfortable around or people you share interests or viewpoints or perspectives with. Uh, it's easier to exclude or avoid people who you don't want to be around. No, I mean, it's, it makes it sort of a double-edged sword, right? I mean, for... You know, it's, it's sort of the same process. Someone who needs emotional support and can find it thanks to the internet and being online, whether that's Twitter or Facebook or whatever web forum. But that's all, I mean, you know, that's also for, for, for every disaffected youth who, uh, you know, is gay or confused about something and finds an outlet and social support online. I mean, you know, it could be the young angry man who finds a group of Nazis that, you know, push him in another direction that is a that is maybe a social atmosphere a social group that he couldn't find you know just at his high school or whatever yeah and then you know the flip side of that is that you know people who if they were confined you know to like spatial socialization to just interacting with the people who are around them might never interact with someone who wasn't a nazi right right, right? <laughs> And so, you know, there's there's this sort of, you know, cultural finding its own level thing where, you know, to, like what I was talking about last week, where how people can sort of make the world exactly as small as they want to. Yeah. And, you know, the internet lets us, like I said, talk to people we want to talk to, or, you know, just to, to, to construct to posit a world where only people we want to talk to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And then suddenly everyone who's outside of those boundaries, you know, is an intruder. Mm-hmm. We're sort of, it's interesting. We're like expanding and contracting in all these unique ways that weren't really possible before. Cause it's much, it seems much more determined by, ideology and interests and, and personality than uh, physical proximity. It's sort of... Or material necessity. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's just, it's sort of reshaping the landscape of our social world. But there are some of the, some some similar social dynamics at play, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like that's certainly something I've encountered and, and sure you guys have too of you know any social group has certain indicators certain ways of doing things certain ways of speaking and i think when when people talk about being sort of quote unquote too online that sort of what they talk about i'm i'm sort of thinking through this as we talk but but that idea of you know you being a person, right? I mean, we've talked about mindfulness before and and the importance or just the significance of being present with your body in your physical space and sort of grounding yourself. And 
is there an extent to which the more you are immersing yourself in that online space and those customs and ideas, the less able you are to be mindful? Do you feel oh, like yeah. that's... Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah. So absorption is a kind of dissociation. Um, and that's that's when you get so sucked into something that it's like you don't really exist. You're, you, you exist within that experience. Um, it's really common with like movies. It's, so it's, that's, right. that's one. Right. Um, gaming. That's a, that's a huge absorption field, I suppose. Um, yeah. and, and so it's, it's a very, it's like a very normative form of dissociation. So I'd say most people do experience that at least occasionally. Yeah, but in film studies, it's something that you learn that filmmakers strive for. Right, right, Immersion. Exactly. Immersion, yeah. Right. Phenomenology. But, but it is, at its core, still a dissociative process. And so the more you're, you're doing it, um, like, you'll find uh, people who do have a lot of trauma and, and dissociation in other ways will also be more likely to be experiencing a lot more absorption and of, and of course because it's like oh this is a a pleasant way to not be here you know not be present um it's like a substitute for being alive yeah 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 which i guess is the reason that anybody dissociates right whether that's absolutely using drugs or just just flat out not being present with your body anymore or playing video games or watching a movie, whatever. You're just, yeah, escaping. Yeah, why would you want to be, like, dealing with the reality of there being, you know, increasing threat of, of Nazis in real life <laughs> when you can be shooting them in Wolfenstein really successfully? Yeah. Um, and I think that's And I think that's sort of the way to tie it back to this this conversation about being super online is that you're you're sort of dipping into that process a little bit right i mean that's what we're talking about mm-hmm. is really immersing yourself in an overwhelming way but i think the thing or the thought for me about the sort of internet of things and and smartphones being a way to sort of untether us from desks and all all of these things about you know the convenience of having it available all the time is that that being really online is this absorb absorption uh, right i mean i'm trying to think of the right way to conjugate i guess but (laughs) it's this process of dissociating but it's not it's not like a movie it's not something that has a finite beginning and end you know you sit down to watch a movie and it's two hours and that's it and you know you're doing it you are engaging it in a really conscious way but but if you're if you're just really online and you have your phone on you it's something that I mean, it's got its hooks in you 24-7, basically. Yeah, and it's like, it's theoretically infinite, you know. Right. It's, it's, it's you know, it's not a movie, it's a soap opera, right? Where right. soap operas are designed to be made for decades. And, right. you know. But, right, but it's a soap opera that is running 24-7 and has new characters coming in all the time. And it's like, you you know, if... I mean, it's, a, it's something I've done, and I'm sure you guys have too, where, where it's really, like, it's it's not... <laughs> It's not. It's not a single thing that you can. It, it's not like you ever have the experience of wanting to, you know, feeling like you want to be really online, and then you go and look for the opportunity to be online and discover, well, it's not really there. So you sort of <laughs> check back out and put your phone down and do something else, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
like it's there and it's always happening enough that you will be able to engage with it there is no you know you, you you might if you're talking about a movie you might hop on netflix and sift through the menus for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and then get bored and decide i don't really want to watch anything you know but i feel like that never really happens when you're yeah talking no about like there's just online. there's like, so <laughs> many different kinds of feedback right and there's so many different sources of it and they're just all firing all the time that it's just sort of like you know it's like just these these quick hits of dopamine that are coming from every conceivable angle at all times. Oh, yeah. And I think that a lot of the feeling of being too online, you know, that comes from the, you know, the, the desire to step back or the sense of estrangement, uh, it comes from, in part, like a hangover of just that amount of psychic feedback yeah. of just, you know, feeling a little bit strung out and... You know, you see it both in terms of, like, the physical effects it has on you, where you just feel sort of wired and exhausted, and also in terms of the way it makes it more difficult. You know, you are talking earlier about, you know, patterns of speech, but just the way that it makes it harder to interact with people not online. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of what I was saying before also about just the sort of increasing feeling of alienation uh, and as I said anecdotally just sort of seeing that crop up more as you know in think pieces or memes or whatever of, of that feeling of alienation and I think that contributes to it you know when, when more and more of your primary social outlet comes from being super online then it like the the feeling of social interaction, the feeling of emotional support that it can give you, gets all mixed up with those dopamine blasts and that accompanying hangover, you know. So you 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 reach this sort of critical point where you need to disengage, like physically, emotionally. Your body is like you can't, you have to stop this for whatever, you know, for however however much time. But so you're you're in an, in a in a space, an emotional space where you need support. But you can't turn back to this thing that you're using for emotional support because that's the source of the dissociation. That's the source of the, of the pain. <laughs> Quite a situation we're in. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Well, so I guess I, I'd want to uh, step back from just looking at the negatives because... Um, oh, yeah, no. no like no, All the totally. negatives need to be understood within the context of the fact that it's better. Right. Right. It's, it's just positive. better than yeah. being stuck with, you know, your neighbors and your family <laughs> as the only people to talk to and your only totally. perspective of what the outside world is like. Like, there's a reason that we're all doing this instead. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. It, I would say definitely it is a net positive and, and <laughs> that, net. That, <laughs> and that, you know, a conversation like this one is more about, you know, like this thing is great this thing is awesome i'm glad we're doing it but how can we make sure not to you know abuse it i guess or or sort of overdose on it i guess um i don't know how can we how can we manage it in a healthy way because so many i mean i you know uh, a romantic relationship can be positive but it can go too far and venture into sort of codependency right where like uh, a relationship that is by and large, beneficial to the parties involved can still have these really these really mm -hmm. unpleasant elements that aren't healthy. Yeah, I think part of it is just that it's such a massive and like fast 
like yeah. process of just the, all of human society sort of reorganizing through these new media that you know there's going to be you know separate from all of the ways that it's like actually bad and unadapt and maladaptive as you know there's just these immense sort of growing pains and sort of the you know the seismic effects of these huge shifts in how we socialize mm-hmm. that make it you know painful and uncomfortable yeah for sure and it is that <laughs> painful and uncomfortable yeah <laughs> yeah but my favorite thing about being online is the performance aspect uh, and yes. i mean this both uh, sincerely and pejoratively is just you know cuz it's really good or at least i really enjoy the way it causes me to sort of think in terms of how people see me which is not something that comes to me naturally yeah and to sort of think about the ways in which online communication can affect people like there are some ways that it's just hard to affect people online the way you can affect them affect them you know in person um you know it's very easy as one person to you know harass someone to the point of tears but if you want to do it online you need like either one really 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 you know malicious person or more likely you know 40 to 50 disinterested psychopaths <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does unlock some some opportunities for creativity. That's I think that's the point you were making, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, part yeah. Uh like but like it's conversely, it's much easier I think to tell a joke online than it is in person. Um or at least there are more jokes that you can tell online than you can tell in person because there are just more jokes that work in text rather than spoken. You know, and then, yeah, I mean, there's more modes of there are so many modes of joke making, so many yeah. like, structural yeah. ways of making jokes in text and specifically in, I, I don't know, people have access to the giant in joke of the Internet. Right. I mean, so there are so many like plays on words or refer- reference and multimedia, you know, yeah. like just the very fact of. You know, I forget what they're called, the images, but there's like a top text and bottom text. Oh my god. Are you trolling me? Are, are you trolling me right now? Yeah, that's is there it, a word for that? image macros. I don't know what that is. <laughs> what's it, what's an image micro then? <laughs> is there a more general term that encompasses every sort of nope. I'm, I'm not really Oh oh that I, encompasses all of like human culture yeah, or and also Yeah, like like is there a word for like the, the unit? Oh mimetics. Of, Yes, yeah. Yeah. What's that? Oh. Are you really... I wish there was someone on this cast who really had a lot of thoughts about memetics. Oh my gosh. Well... I'm just trying to get you to say the word meme and you're just you're making it so difficult. Well, you're because I obstinate. won't conflate the word meme with an image macro because a meme is oh. a much broader Which, to be clear. concept. <laughs> and I think it is a tremendous disservice to just minimize it to this one little piddly, ridiculous form of a meme. I'm so mad. You know what? (laughs) So, to translate for our younger listeners, what Megan is saying here is that she remembers the year 2004. (laughs) Okay, go on. (sighs) 
What am I supposed to be doing right now? Am I supposed to just be being trolled no, you're just right supposed now? To be Is that what's up. happening? Yes, that's oh, okay. precisely it. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good because that means that you're doing exactly what you need to, <laughs> and we could be supportive because you did so well. <gasps> uh, <laughs> anyway, we were. What were we talking about before you were the jokes? Took that opportunity well, I was talking. To... I was talking about. You know, the performative aspect of the ah. internet and, uh, yeah. you know, the way, you know, the things about it that I like, which are sort of the ways that it forces us to think about both uh, creativity and attention, both the way we allot it and the way we attract it. And then the things about it that I don't like, which are the way it sort of pushes, you know, it's one of the many factors that are sort of materially pushing people to commodify ourselves, to think of ourselves as products that we mm-hmm. present to people. And the way that that sort of, you know, market socialization I would, is yeah. permeating our interaction. I would like well, to think... uh, introduce the term prosumers here, which is <laughs> in the cyber psychology biz, or or the biz as I call it. Um, <laughs> it's very cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, both a producer and a consumer. It's a different. Could you just say brand? Oh yeah, we could. Everyone, everyone is a brand. So, what made them decide on prosumer rather than conducer? <laughs> Good question. What it, what it makes me, what it calls to mind for me, sort of jump back a little bit is the is a, that sort of tension between George, what you were saying about performance, but being, you know, you're thinking of yourself both in terms as as an individual and a person who would like to on some level be a whole person or view themselves as a whole person but you're also trying to think about yourselves in this performative way and how you fit into social groups online or the greater social atmosphere like and i think that there's this there's this way the subconscious way of conceiving yourself when you are trying to be a part of this larger thing where you are sort of you're you're looking at the space you wish to occupy as like a, a puzzle that's missing a piece and you're thinking how can i how can i shape myself to fit that hole and you are sort of making up your your persona and that that performance based on that and and i feel like that is sort of double-edged i guess like like the good part like you're talking about i i feel like is 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 the kind of like is the the fake it till you make it kind of thing right like like it, it gives you the opportunity to present the version of yourself that you maybe like wish you could be right like like more more confident or more together or whatever I don't know uh, yeah no there's a lot of it that's 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 aspirational it's just that yeah. uh, when you take it in aggregate you know when you have everybody doing this and when you have things like for instance you know the, like first of all just the pure dopamine economy of attention and then you know they're like like Megan said earlier jobs like you know people find work online people have built entire careers off of posting yeah and so there's this you know the way that self-expression and you know self-promotion sort of become the same process and it's one of the ways that i think when we talk about um you know wholeness or balance or whatever we have to be careful of the fact that the ways that we sort of conceive of those things and the way that we communicate those ideas it all sort of predates the internet and so i think that it's very easy to 
conclude that spending time on the internet is itself like an abstract bad that we need to retreat from Walden like rather than <laughs> that we need to think about how to integrate more responsibly and thoughtfully into our social patterns. Yeah. Definitely. And this brings to mind I uh briefly attempted a a mindful Twitter experiment. I don't know if you guys remember me doing this. It was not that successful actually <laughs> what, what is a mindful tweet like what what exactly happened i didn't i, uh, I was just a couple tweets here and there of like how can we use twitter more mindfully and it's like trying to introduce some some general practices or techniques like maybe well that's interesting feeling the sensations in your fingertips as you're Typing a sick burn. Yeah, see, that's <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the like, that's the that's the trick there is that you know mindfulness fundamentally is about an awareness of your body, right? Mm-hmm. But the internet is sort of disembodied. Yeah. Right. Right. So we can think of that two ways. One is that it's sort of fundamentally anti-mindful, mm-hmm. right? And there's you know there's a reason to think of it that way. But we could also just think of it in terms of trying to conceive of mindfulness within the online space, mm-hmm. thinking about what is your body on the internet. Yeah. What is the thing that you want to make sure that you're paying attention to? What is the input that you want to stay on top of and that you don't want to neglect or suppress? Yeah. No, it's really interesting uh, when you when you frame it that way, the, like, what is your body on the internet? And, like, immediately what comes to mind for me is Kimmy Gibbler because <laughs> for those who don't know... Kimmy Kimmy Gibbler is my avatar on Twitter, and like I've come to, I don't know, I, I I I don't know why I decided that she was gonna be my avatar. This is like so, a couple years ago. I haven't changed it, and I will never change it now. Probably like I. Well, it's your brand. It's my I brand. Mean, you can't it's, I can't. That's my identity. Um, is it because you like Fuller House so much? <laughs> I actually cannot stand full house i hate that show um <laughs> well that's because it's the worst it's show, a terrible really show. Is it's terrible it's really awful but but like kimmy <laughs> gibbler is especially awful even within that and like that i identify with um oh fascinating uh she, she identify with her being awful well she's well yes she's just super what is it about her <laughs> that is so awful to you um i mean I mean, the, the things that I think are generally uh, not appreciated by others are the things that I like in her. Well, she's just super annoying, right? She just does. She doesn't really <laughs> consider the ways that she's impacting the people around her, I don't think. Um, she just kind of. She's so fundamentally Kimmy Gibbler. Like, she can't be anything else, I guess. Um, do you feel like is that the quality that you I, are really? I yeah, I guess so. I haven't I haven't put a lot of thought into it. I just my my decision making process tends to be like, what's the most annoying thing, and then I I like the aesthetic of annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that definitely squares with my experience <laughs> totally. And also, she's like, I guess she's pretty innocuous do you feel like there's some subconscious connection you're you that you i mean there must i be. mean do you feel I like your know. connection with kimmy gibbler is one that is 
uh, in regards to your own temperament, or is it does it have something to do with your discipline, or do you just? I think I think you just thought it was funny. Too much thought. I just thought it was funny. I thought she yeah. was annoying, and I was like, you know what? I'm ta- I'm doing it. You were pretty into Jar Jar Binks for a while, I, as I recall. I until you saw the movie and you realized <laughs> no why everyone hated Jar Jar Binks. Well, I mean, I I'm I still sort of love Jar Jar Binks. But it did make it hard when he, like, helped usher in fascism. That was pretty shitty of him, I thought. Well, I mean, who among us? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm, we're us? not talking on the podcast. You talk all the time about wanting to help usher in. I don't understand. That's a good it's point. Really, it's right in your wheelhouse. I don't... That's a good point. Um, but if he didn't, if he hadn't have done that, he'd, like, hands down be my favorite character. Just. I mean, I'm certainly noticing a, th- a connecting thread here of characters who really relish in being annoying well it's not so much that it's i think it's more that the rest of the world just like this really hates them so much and huh. i guess i just like an underdog it's about you know performatively accepting the rejected right. yeah and the radicalism inherent in that right exactly how does this fit into what we're talking about of of the sort of public performance well megan talk, was talking about because we were talking about you know if we're going to think about the mindful internet, we have to think in terms of what is our body online. And yeah. what Megan puts forward is that our body online is, you know, sort of the representation we put forward of us symbolically, right? Uh, the avatar, you know, which is sort of what that word means. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in that sense, being mindful online would involve thinking about how we present ourselves and how that comes across. And it would involve especially thinking about the, you know, the physical, quote unquote, you know, the the sensory uh, presentations mm-hmm. that we construct for ourselves in terms of, you know, like, hypothetically, if your avatar of your ego is either a picture of yourself as a child or Keanu Reeves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good hypothetical. I don't know if I ever encounter someone like that. <laughs> I'll have to keep it in mind. For our <laughs> listeners, that's a reference to Andrew. Yeah, yeah no, true. we're on a Skype call right now, and I can see his face just sort of bewilderedly looking at me. Yeah, my little first grade face or second grade face or whatever. Yeah, like did did the did the person with the camera like pull a gun on you or something and say, <laughs> "If you stop smiling, I will shoot." I don't know. I don't. I, I wish that I could remember that day and that face, what inspired it. But and we will we'll make we'll make. The uh, episode will include the picture. Yeah, that the picture, the, this that will be the cover, our... the cover yes. image for this episode. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Probably, probably just a feeling of discomfort, mild discomfort, but being told to smile, <laughs> which is itself a very apt metaphor for yeah. the way we present ourselves online. Totally mm-hmm. says the sad dog. You were really in the rain. insightful as a small. Tr- hey, <laughs> George. George has a history of using. A dog out in the street in the rain, and I—it's—it's it's a very sad dog, but it's—it's it's very endearing. I think. How, how how has that like shaped your experience? Do you think? Well, so I actually don't think of the dog as that sad. Like it looks sad. Like it's a sad image, but I think of it as funny. Oh. And and then the reason I think of it as funny is that I think that the dog is a clown. <laughs> And what I mean by that is that 
when we think about it, not in terms of like the pure aesthetic trappings of the makeup and the you know the funny noses and the child murder and stuff, <laughs> the essence of being a clown, like the narrative role of the clown, is of someone who is constantly trying to maintain their dignity and fails. Oh, right. And mm-hmm. so you know, just the image of this dog that's just sort of sitting there and just sort of staring, but they're not like slouching or they haven't you know given up and they're not just lying in the street. They're just sort of sitting there calmly. Like, they're waiting for someone to show up, and, you know, like, they want to keep composed, and in the meantime, the world just keeps going by, and the rain keeps falling, and no one shows up, <laughs> but the dog doesn't move. It's a right. good dog. Right, the dog's not going to look for whoever they're waiting for, the dog's not playing in the rain. Yeah, no, the dog is just the dog. <laughs> yeah, it's a good dog. Yeah, because it's a picture instead of a, an animated yeah. GIF or video or something, it just it will only ever be sitting, waiting. Good good times. Yeah. <laughs> so my favorite part of the internet <laughs> is being able to delete shit <laughs> and and to like take some time to think about what we're saying. And that's I think that's personally I think one of the biggest benefits of the internet and like one of the hardest things about real life interaction or or even like on this call is it's yeah it's interesting yeah you know talking like you're talking about filters right and how like in real life you know there are a lot of sort of like psychological and etiquette filters that make it hard to communicate and make it hard to communicate particular things or make it hard to communicate in particular contexts and on the internet, those don't really exist, right? Mm-hmm. But what the internet does have is it has sort of this layer of labor that you have to do to get your point across in the first place. There's this sort of mechanical device that you have to manipulate to communicate. And it's interesting, I think, the ways that being on the internet versus in person affects communication and the way we filter ourselves. Because on the one hand... Um, you know, online communication, like you say, it lets us be more deliberate, right? It lets yeah. us stop and think. It lets us edit. It lets us retract. You know, it lets us unsay things, which is one of those things that's just not possible in real life. But at the same time, online, it's much, much easier to just let any old thought that farts <laughs> through your head out into the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's interesting that I, I, I feel like one of the things that is nice about it, well, is, is sometimes nice and it's not always nice, but it, is that it does persist. Like, I, I feel like people often do a really good job of sort of editing their own mental history. You know, the your ability to, for your own emotional well-being, to cope with a... a traumatic memory or a difficult memory you can sort of fudge it a little bit or misremember something you know and just to sort of maintain your own emotional well-being <laughs> and that can make it difficult to sort of grow from those experiences because you are sort of fundamentally out of touch with them if you aren't able to kind of conjure them up but that's something you can do if you are posting something. You can literally go back and yeah. revisit those thoughts verbatim, you know, which if you're doing it in a 
in a healthy, mindful way can be really beneficial. You know, obviously the flip side of this, as I'm sure we've all seen, are people drudging up tweets from someone from eight years ago as a way to, you know, to get him fired or whatever. And, you know, I have no particular objections to a Nazi losing their job or whatever, but, you know, there is a level on which, yes, you know, everyone grows and changes and you know wouldn't it be nice if you could point back to that or look back yourself to that and say use it as a way to sort of see how you've come how you've grown and maybe think about what like how that shift happened when that shift happened Mm -hmm. yeah although you know the flip side of it like you pointed out is that the fact that it's all so much more easy to access so much easier to access and it's you know, so much more permanent is there's just so much less of your life that's not available for judgment. Right. Yeah. Right. And the most obvious way that this manifests, like you pointed out, is that uh, our employers or prospective employers (laughs) can just look at our social media. You know, if I want to get a job somewhere and someone looks at my Twitter and says, hey, you keep, you know, making these jokes at Megan that do better numbers than her original (laughs) comment. You're going places, kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what that signifies. Well, so the thing that I find the most interesting about about this, like, the record and having that um, is, like, Donald Trump, you see him directly contradicting things that he said. And, like, I think it's just a really interesting display of the power of denial and 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 who's like able to who's integrating the actual evidence of their like narratives you know like yeah like we shouldn't mistake the existence of evidence for the existence of accountability like donald trump copped to sexual assault on audio tape Mm -hmm. and then he tweeted no it wasn't me yeah right and now it's a controversy yeah so like (laughs) like and even if, and even insofar as it's not a controversy, even insofar as everyone unambiguously agrees that you know he did it, and he's the guy that did it, the the thing doer, you know, the fact remains that nobody actually cares. Mm-hmm. Like nothing's going to happen to him. <laughs> uh, no material consequence will befall him for lying or for doing the thing he lied about doing. So it's like, yeah, there's still the power. You know, it's almost like still there. It doesn't. Yeah, and, like, in a way, it almost seems worsened by mm-hmm. uh, the way that the internet sort of captures and preserves all this information. Yeah. Because it seems like, you know, there's just so much information out there that it's so much easier to construct a reality that has, like, mm-hmm. a broad and consistent set of facts, or at least a set of facts which are consistent with each other, right? If not, in, if not you know, in terms of, like, logical rigor, in terms of, like, you know, painting a coherent ideological picture. Yeah, that, that that that's a really interesting point. That's something that there's been some debate about in in the research world about like political polarization, right? Because a, a lot of people have been sort of hypothesizing and theorizing that the internet is actually fueling this polarization, and that the people who are more online are you know able to seek out the information like the confirmation bias information right like but but actually there's a a study i read recently 
that was showing that in the younger generations, it's not like the polarization isn't happening so much in the younger generation generations that are using the internet more. It's actually happening a lot more in the older generations. Um, like the, the, the severe polarization is, is more in the baby boomers. So I, I didn't, I didn't read the conclusions and what they thought was like driving that. But I think probably what's happening is, is that it's just so hard to integrate this new technology into your decision-making process. And that's what I think is going to be, is so interesting. Like people growing up online have such a, (sighs) well, they're more, I think they're more prone to maybe be skeptical of. So I, so I think, I think part of the issue with, people who skew older maybe being more susceptible to being polarized is that I feel like that pe- people are looking for evidence right when they when they go to search for you know like you're talking about confirmation bias right and when what you need for that is you know I have an idea in mind and I want to go find proof that my idea is right and I feel like that's sort of I almost feel like that's that's, for instance, Trump's understanding of this social space, the online social space, and it's, I mean, it's one he's obviously been manipulating and using for his whole career to an extent. But the 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 other direction you can sort of go in, if on the one hand you have, you know, aha, eight years ago you made this tweet about such and such, you know, ergo you're whatever, like I've got you. Uh, is that I think that there's sort of an understanding of of that confirmation bias, and the other way to handle that is to just is to have all your bases covered, right? Rather than try to sort of minimize your online body, your online space to a particular, you know, to to delete and edit until you have the precisely the persona you want. The other way to go about it is to just have everything to cover all your bases. Oh, you mean the rush, to, like the Rush Limbaugh strategy of of making all of the predictions and then exactly and then being able when that when something happens that aligns with a prediction you made using that as evidence to be like exactly i told you yeah well and this happens every once in a while with tweets that go viral from a few years ago that are you know people that go viral because they are perceived to be prescient in some way even though if you could go back to that day and look at all the tweets about a given subject from three years ago or whatever, you know, everyone was prognosticating in every different direction. And, <laughs> One of them you know, had to just, be right. Go, right, right, exactly. <laughs> like, I remember uh, I remember reading an internet forum around 9-11, uh, which Bush did. And one of, the posts, <laughs> one of the posts in the thread was literally just, watch Bush start a fucking war. Right. Yeah. Right? And then he did. Right. You know, he did 9-11 and then he used it to start a war. And... You know, we can see with hindsight that, you know, that was obviously true, yeah. right? Because he did 9-11 and then he started the war. <laughs> but at the time, that wasn't really what was on people's minds, right? No. So it was just sort of like a lone voice in the wilderness at that specific point. Right. But now has become this sort of evergreen, this evergreen post, this nice uh, joke that has sort of has it's kind of its own, its own subgenre. That's kind of a... That's such a an interesting term there. That the evergreen post. What a juxtaposition. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I feel like that's sort of I don't know. We that's like like, yeah, like like your milkshake duck kind of thing, right? 
like... Or, well, I was thinking about just the the origin. Like, the fact that, yeah, or, you know, like, it sort of points to, like, the inherent ephemerality of a post is such that the highest praise you can give it is that it's going to last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it has or, mimetic like, staying power. Yeah, or more acutely, it's a post you can make over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and it will always be true and appropriate. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like this sort of contextlessness, which is akin to timelessness. Yeah. It's literal social capital. Sort of. I'm, I'm, I'm the a... memes of production. Yeah. <laughs> the memes of production. Huh? So I've been. I made a. I made a tweet a while ago that it was sort of a, a throwaway tweet, but I also ended up being like, "Oh shit, that's actually pretty cool." Like, <laughs> uh, do you do you want to read one of your posts? Yeah. Out loud for yeah. Us? yeah. No, I'm was it about shameless self promotion? Yeah. Because... No. No. Um, <laughs> it was like thinking about culture as mimetic fractals like fractals of 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 memes and maybe i should actually talk about what memes are instead of i don't know if this is the point to do it like with well i mean technically strictly speaking in the strictest sense (laughs) we still owe andrew an explanation of what heuristics are that's true oh that's true which one should we do first well as much as I favor leaving Andrew hanging yet again. <laughs> yes. Right. For those who are listening and caught it, maybe, I asked what heuristics meant in the la- in one of the previous episodes and was completely ignored. I didn't hear it. As usual. I didn't hear it. Uh, so, so should we discuss... Oh, gosh. Now so I'm about, let's start with define. Let's define heuristic. Well, a heuristic is basically a shortcut. Right, it's it's a pattern of problem solving which approximates the solution, but isn't necessarily like perfect and rigorous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a guideline, I guess. It's like a a, a mental algorithm. All right. Um, but that's that's essentially what we do when we think, when we make decisions, is we're we're using all these different structured like patterns of the like, pattern intuitive detection. subconscious mm-hmm. flowchart. Yes. That you use to interpret all pieces of information. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, should we talk about memes? What memetics are? <laughs> sure. Can you use the word heuristic in defining it? Or oh god. Uh, to help with retention. No. You know? No. I'm gonna no. have to. No, that's too complicated. <laughs> I'm already like getting flustered thinking about how to describe memetics. Um. Yeah, and you threw fractal in there too. So let's just let's take it easy with. Oh that. Jesus! <laughs> wait, is fractal? Ahead, is, wait, medics. are fractals not? Or is that sort of like an obscure? I sort of don't really know uh, what I, I would say most in terms people of... understand versus what is just like a an obscure. Like I have, I have, I'm very bad at that. Like that's that's one of my biggest weaknesses. <laughs> I think is having a sense of like what other people understand versus what's like a a weird thing that I dug into a few years ago right. and got like really into defining things you know <laughs> well I think most known. people if you say the word fractal would probably like picture I don't know like a picture of a Mandelbrot set or whatever but you know probably wouldn't be able to give you like a mathematical definition oh yeah well I wouldn't be able to give a mathematical definition I'm, I'm using sort of the the, well, the idea of like 
these recurring patterns and and the way that those patterns sort of like have uh smaller and smaller and like reverberating like uh uh so when you use the word fractal in in this context of describing a social phenomenon mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about you're talking about these sort of increasingly minute or increasingly specific reverberating effects where each repetition becomes like incrementally more specific yeah. and tightly contextualized and therefore right. estranged from whatever the root idea was yeah yeah but still like fundamentally the same thing in a way yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is of its origin, but not necessarily representative of its origin. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So memetics. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna talk about memetics because through. I love just, memetics. Just push ahead. Um, right. So uh, the the idea is, so memetics are sort of like a, an analogy to like genetics, right? It's uh, it's another set of replicators. Um, like genes, DNA, etc. Like they, they replicate. They, um, they persist through replication. Um, and memetics would be the information uh, correlate. So that would be like like culture. All of culture is memetics. Um, so it's based on our ability to imitate. So language is memetic um anything like visual representation any symbolic thinking um have i covered the the base here what else is important to know about memetics oh it i mean don't don't ask us you're the mean boss um so the the idea here is that like like humans are uniquely capable of imitation and we're not the only animals that are able to uh, imitate like birds you hear bird song um, that's memetics um, like the the killer whales that have learned how to beach themselves and like catch the fish while they're you know right. while they're being pushed back into the ocean um, that's a form of memetics so they've learned through imitation <laughs> and so they have like they have culture um, but humans are particularly uh, adept at replicating information and imitating. And then throughout time, our, as our technology has evolved, that's really impacted what our imitation looks like. Um, like, so before written word, we relied on storytelling, right? Like that was, that was the way that we passed down information. And that's why like mythology was so important. Like, um, right. like the prime example given is like there, I don't know what the actual myth is. It was kind of, it's like, uh, some, some gods got pissed and then the God from the underworld, like threw a tantrum and, and spit out some red stuff. And, and but it was like, it was telling a story of a volcano eruption. Right. And that, so the information that's prescient here is that like, Hey, over there, that's like, a volcano and it fucked up some of our ancestors so like chill out over there don't go over there right so but but that gets sort of morphed into this through this storytelling process and you know um but then once we have 
written information, then then we have that record, right? So we have a, a, an ability to accumulate knowledge in a way that, that we didn't have before. And I think with the internet, that's just blowing this whole thing up, right? We just have so much information at our fingertips. And right. so it's like fundamentally changing. Like before, like our, our cognitive... Um, and this is this is where I'm getting a little bit evo psych, and I know people are very resistant to evo psych. And I've got, we'll do another episode with evo psych. I won't, I won't. Talk about how wrong you are. That'll be the follow up to this oh. one. We'll just take spend the it's, whole episode taking apart listen, this part of this episode. Listen. <laughs> anyway, but the point is, like our the way that we process information and think about information, like we're more. Um, like the adaptive quality is actually the thing that is that evolved rather than like a specific way of thinking. Oh gosh, I'm getting I'm getting caught up here. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I feel like we can write the adaptability. That's sort of I I feel like that's something that's really put to the test with or, or really stretched to its limits when we're talking about being extremely online. Right, because one of the other really defining characteristics of being super online, and specifically that makes it so difficult to handle sometimes emotionally, is that it is moving super fast. Mm-hmm. Like it's persistent, and the discussion is sort of always there. But if you are in a moment where you are not being very mindful and feel really caught up in that persist in that in that really fast, mm-hmm. infinite conversation. Uh, your adaptability is really put to the test because you are constantly getting new pieces of information mm-hmm. and constantly needing to fold the new pieces of information, the unfolding events into that performance, into that online persona that you're cultivating and that sense of self that you're cultivating. I remember, you know, to go to what Andrew was saying about, you know, how we just have so much information. Now, I remember, what, two, two and a half years ago when it was notable to the point of being like, you know, a public celebration that there was a two meme day. Oh my god! Right? <laughs> oh my we had god. we had yeah. the llama in oh the morning. Oh my god! The llamas. And then we had the dress at night. Oh my god! Totally. And then that was it. That, that was, was my that favorite. was the pinnacle of human culture up to that point. Yeah. And now, fucking and people talked about it on the news. Know. That made like actual television news. And now it's just whatever, right? You know, Donald Trump touched a glowing orb. Oh know, yeah. And we've all forgotten about it. Well, and I mean, like, literally, I've had the experience of, you know, waking up in the morning and hopping online and becoming instantly aware of the fallout of some event Yeah. that had happened only, you know, a couple of hours previous, but not the event itself, because people are already at the point of being like, oh, we've processed this. <laughs> this is not even worth thinking about anymore. Let's move on. You know... We're, we're exactly like we're so removed from the event itself that you know at the moment it tends to happen with you know yet another revelation of sexual assault that some some persona is a sex creep or whatever um but i feel like that's a i, I don't know it, it's just this weird ever-increasing accelerating pace yeah of online the the thing that is coming to my mind is that it's less that we as humans are not 
equipped to deal with all of this. It's that I don't right. think our like our our culture is evolving and we haven't yet established the mechanisms to deal with this. Like we're in sort of a I think a critical junction right now in terms of thinking about what this means like how do we deal with this and who knows right. maybe net tr- neutrality will just change everything and we won't have to deal with this because corporations will do it for us or <laughs> you know like yeah. maybe yeah who knows? i mean that's a good way to that's a good way to kill twitter real fast is if you charge people a lot of extra money to yeah. use it yeah yeah who knows who knows what's going to and and like at least at least at least people will no longer be able to say i can't believe this website is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that meme wow. will no longer be an evergreen. That's true. No, but then there'll be jokes about that That's true. phrase. <laughs> It'll just transform. That's a good point. Yeah, like things things just move so fast that, you know, we sort of, you know, it almost it almost feels unsafe to disconnect because oh, we yeah. just lose uh-huh. so Absolutely. much context. It's like, you know, it's like the totally ordinary experience we all have of like, you know, you come home from school and your mother's on the couch crying, and your dad's gone, and the knife block's on the floor, and you have no idea what happened. Yeah. So you just stay in your room and yeah. read Redwall novels until dinner. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Boy, like, if I had a nickel. All, we've all been there. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So in some ways, yeah, it does feel unsafe to log off and not understand what's happening. But in other ways, maybe it's okay to not be like firsthand experiencing everything that's happening and well, <laughs> I think like that's what makes this witnessing <laughs> I think that's what they, makes this particular moment so difficult I mean like you said we're sort of at this weird this critical juncture that that there's certainly no like we've been talking about in general access and information and communication are net positives this level of it and it's and even if it wasn't, it's definitely not going away, right? Like this well, is how. In, well, I mean, okay, sure. Short of a massive infrastructure collapse, it's, it's certainly possible for it to go. Away. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think it would be na- naive to not uh, really consider the possibility that this will be suddenly stripped from us in some way. That's true. That's true. But I think that. That. The thing is, I think that, you know, even if it is stripped from us, there's no going back, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, you know, like, whatever happens after it goes away will be different from what came before, and that will be in part because of what was in between. Right. And, um, like, the next thing will be informed by this, even yeah. if it isn't this. Yeah. And, yeah. in fact, I feel like, you know, what you're talking about, this critical juncture is really, that's sort of the, that's sort of the essential question of it for me, is... Is you know how how can we nurture this in a responsible way? How can we mm-hmm. how can we be mindful? How can we take care to to to, to cradle these ways of to, to to handle these ways of interacting with each other in, in such that it will be beneficial? How can mm-hmm. we shape this in a beneficial way rather than just sort of passively accepting? Oh, like you know. I think that's sort of the way it is now that it's just sort of people are so invested in, in, in having their heads so deeply in the online space and also just, just 
I don't know. There's no, there is no, there's no levers that we can adjust to try to change the trajectory of it. Like we, we have very little power over the way that it is being shaped. Right. And it's a failure of discernment, right? Like basically the problem we have is that we're, you know, as Megan pointed out, we're bombarded with all this information and, you know, like we've been talking about for a couple episodes, you know, we have, the tools to filter it however we want, but we don't really have like an understanding of the best practices or right. like an ethical awareness of what sorts of things we have an obligation to see or not see. Mm-hmm. And so we just end up, you know, and this is again, I think where the idea of being mindful online uh, comes in is that, you know, without having some base awareness without having some sort of way to rigorously look at ourselves and sort of, you know, the way that we push into the space and the way it pushes back is that we're just left chasing, you know, like the whims that our cravings and our Uh aversions force on us. You know, we just so, like, we don't know how much garbage we have an obligation to see. Like, intuitively, you know, like, the obvious answer is none. Right? Like, we just (laughs) clock all that. Yeah. But, you know, and then consequently, you know, on the other side, you know, we don't know how much validation, Mm -hmm. you know, it's okay to chase before it becomes unhealthy. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And so, in the absence of that, we have nothing to respond to. We have no sort of ordering impulse, uh, but the craving for more validation. And consequently, you know, on the flip side, you know, we don't really have anything motivating our exposure to sort of contrary or harmful mm-hmm. uh, right. points of view or right. people other than our aversion to anything that isn't validating. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta have those dopamine hits, man. I need it. I need it. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking about um, like my dissertation right now is um, one of the, the framework that it's based on has there's like three drives, I guess, like ways of inferring information. There's motivated inference, fear-based inference, and rage-based inference. Um, and so motivated inference is like we're, we're driven to interpret information in ways that would benefit us or like, um, or that aligns with our goals, right? So that's sort of the confirmation bias that's going, like, well, Fear and rage are also confirmation-based. But, um, and then, like, fear-based is, is we're, we're driven when, when we are, like, activated, when we're, we don't necessarily, like, want to be scared, but we sort of are, like, we are sort of addicted to that in, in a way, because it's, like, when we, um... Then we're, we're looking for the threats and we're sort of like seeking out that information that aligns with that drive. Yeah. And that's the same with, with, with rage because I don't know about you guys, but rage is way more comfortable for me than fear. So, um, <laughs> the sh- those are different emotions. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, they can be sort of conflated and distorted into the same thing. And that, uh, tends to happen with certain demographics more than others, uh, masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, 
I'm just saying, <laughs> there is only one emotion, and it's screaming and crying while punching. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. I think we could all agree on that. That's a good point. Um, but, so, I guess the reason I, I, I bring that up is that I think when you're aware that these are these are sort of the base ways that we operate and um like there's just not really any getting around that <laughs> like like you, you can be aware of how we are how our our filters work and how like the heuristics that we operate with um like you can be aware that you have an ideology you have goals you have um a way of viewing the world that is you can't view the world objectively it's just not possible and unless you're right. able to acknowledge that you have these filters you're never going to be able to account for them and that's what that's what drives me freaking crazy is when people talk about like ideology like people who are driven by ideology or distorted by ideology. It's like, yeah. That's, that's everyone. That's literally every human. <laughs> Not me. I'm uh, unbiased and also normal. <laughs> that's true. Well, besides George. Um... <laughs> well, but it's, I mean, that's a, that makes it a tricky, you know, how, how does one deal with that? I mean, short of completely reorganizing society such that, we are prioritizing empathy and care for others above all things. You know, how do we, <laughs> how do we well, build we that? Did that? Right. But short of that, maybe it's an intermediary step. How do we, how do we address that in terms of our ways of being online? I mean, it's an imperfect metaphor that I'm about to suggest since I don't think it's really the way to go about it, but it would maybe, it would be like, I don't know if the way that we learned to drive was just sort of like handing a seven-year-old the keys and say, <laughs> okay, yeah, just, you know, just figure it out. And I'm not yeah. saying that what we need is like a state level internet exam that you take to get a license to go on the internet. But I just mean in terms of like how yeah. we're introduced to the internet and how we're expected to learn how to navigate it. That's sort of what it's like. Yeah, no, that's, that's real. And I'm because it's as powerful as, driving a car i mean it's it's yeah. you are maybe not taking your life in your hands as literally every day but it, it certainly has ramifications that severe oh absolutely absolutely uh which is i mean that's why the alt-right uses the term meme magic right like they're they've been they've been manipulating the media for a long time like that's I don't know why you say they. That's I mean we met on that all right message board. That's so true. That's you're true. talking about. It. Well, that's why that's why Megan goes by the meme. That's wit. true. It is. <laughs> Actually, um, I'm going to tell the story again. I think the 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 way that I got this name is that I was arguing with um, an alt right as one does. <laughs> it's just right, to, of course. just Very argue healthy. with somebody on Twitter. Speaking that, of being too online. That white people are being genocided um, through, like, interracial marriage and abortion. Um, but anyway, uh, this person accused me of trying to meme white people out of existence, and I thought that was fucking hilarious. 
And I was like, you know what? <laughs> that's <laughs> not a that's bad not, idea. not a terrible idea at all. Um, so that's when I became the, the meme witch. Um, I applaud that uh, both for you know how clever it is, and also for its bravery because you know <laughs> most people just aren't comfortable interacting with their parents on social media. Oh no! No! Oh man! Well. Uh, Boundaries are actually very important to figure out online. This is something that I've. That's another discussion. That's another episode. Is figuring out how to deal with family boundaries. Uh, we can, we can, we can save that discussion. Ooh, down. family is so important. So important, <laughs> you guys. So important. The holidays are coming so up. I mean, I guess we're sort of in the midst of the quote-unquote holidays, aren't we? Mm-hmm. We could do. A, we could do a holiday episode. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. So, but maybe we should think about winding down this episode before we start thinking about all the episodes we can have. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think we're in a pretty good place right there. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that part of what needs to happen to get to your what you were talking about, Andrew, is this: like, how do we? We need to be having these conversations about like how do we use the internet responsibly? I think that's one of them. Uh, that's definitely yeah. a place to start. Um, I've started an, ex- I have, I've been doing an experiment this week on Twitter where I am, I have a, a no dunking self ban and it's been really interesting. It's been very, very difficult. I've been wanting to dunk on people and not, and that sort of, it's been really changing my experience of Twitter. Um, for it, you mean it's made it worse and more boring? <laughs> um, it's 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 actually a lot more pleasant. Like I'm not getting in fights with alt rights as much anymore, which is oh no 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 no! You're you're always supposed to dunk and be mean to your friends. Oh yeah yeah. That's I mean that's my experience. Did you learn nothing from being friends with me? <laughs> uh, uh, I guess I've probably learned nothing from you. Yeah, that sounds accurate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's my experience as well. Oh goodness! Um, but part of part of that was actually inspired by by a conversation with George, who doesn't who doesn't really dunk on anyone but me, from what I can tell. <laughs> that's actually why we started this podcast, so we could do it, you know, more comprehensively and in yeah real time. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been pleasant. It's been cool. Yeah, yeah, that's why, you know, one of the initial discarded names for this podcast was Stupid in Stereo. (laughs) (laughs) So Andrew and I can just both be mean to Megan at the same time. Uh, I'm like the Jerry of Parks and Rec, I think. Yeah. Is that me? I don't like when they're mean to him, though, on that show. I don't. It makes me sad. I I don't like it at all. (laughs) You're so incredibly not the Jerry. I like that. Okay, I'm the Andy. Um, no. Anyway, I guess Andy's the Andy. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, come on. Okay. Anyway, enough navel gazing. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I've had a thoroughly good time on this episode so far. I'm wondering, shall we think of some way to close this? A mindfulness exercise of sorts? Should we do that again? I enjoyed it last time. 
I'm not well, what if, what if instead of a mindfulness exercise now, we pose this as a challenge to our listeners to think about using Ooh. social media more mindfully? How could we do that? I think that sounds great. So think about what that might look like mm-hmm. as you finish up listening to this podcast. And before you just hop right back over to your Twitter window, maybe you've been, maybe you have your phone in your hands while you're listening and you're on Twitter right now. <laughs> Take this opportunity to think about what that might mean. That seems kind of mean of us to like <laughs> pose a challenge to people to come up with their own challenge of themselves. Oh, okay. Well, okay. We're all about self-reliance here at Naughty by Nurture. This is the Bootstrap <laughs> Podcast. That's true. That's true. I am a staunch objectivist. <laughs> All right. Well, so I think that about does it for us. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And I think so maybe next time family question mark. Oh, we'll see. Well, we're not going to lock we'll ourselves see. in. We're going to leave right. this open. If people have suggestions, please. There are things that they want to hear. Yeah, feel free to follow us on Twitter at uh, NBNcast. Yeah. And That's right, yeah. I am at memewitch uh witch with a double v vivich. I'm at VoxPVoxD on Twitter. And I think that I'm still at You Did So Great. Yep. Aww. We all did we so did. great. Yeah. All right, guys. That's the idea. All right. All right. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Bye.